for today. We have just kind of coming into land on um, our series called the character, uh, sorry, the God of the Ages, looking at the character of God. And we've looked through this verse, Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, which says, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love uh, to the and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin to the thousandth generation. Full stop. Amen. Whoa, we learned it all. Great job, guys. Um, uh, And so as we finish that, what we've asked is three uh, members of our community, leaders in our community here, uh, to give like eight-minute kind of um, sermonettes uh, for you today because we want to hear about how God is speaking and working in the lives of our community uh, here. And so we've got three people giving um, short talks this morning uh, in our Preach for the Stars morning. And just to say, and before I welcome up our first speaker, this is an incredibly courageous and brave thing to do, to speak to all of you guys with your very blank faces. Um, uh, And um, you don't have to be kind to me, but can you be kind uh, to them and just be super smiley, lean in, even if the jokes aren't great, just big laughs. Um, and big amens uh, and as they make a point or come into land and lots of cheers um, as they come up. Is that, does that sound good? Is that a good deal? Um, I, I think the more you put in, the more you get out uh, to talks like this. So um, without further ado, um, our very own Dr. Nick Fuggle, one of our church wardens here, leader here uh, from the start of our church plant uh, f- six years ago. Welcome him up. Great. Thank you so much. Um, yes, uh, so uh, my name's Nick, um, and, um, and I'm a rheumatologist um, up at the General Hospital. Um, uh, that's a type of doctor. And rheumatology is one of those specialties that when um, you, you know, say to someone, oh, you know, what they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a doctor. And they say, oh, do you specialize? And you say, oh, yeah, I do, actually. I'm a, I'm a rheumatologist. Um, what they say is, oh, that's, 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 that's great. Um, and and what, what I know they're actually thinking is, what is a rheumatologist? How do you spell that? Is it to do with, like, changing rooms or um, interior design? Is, is Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen a rheumatologist? A, a very up-to-date noughties reference for you there. Um, but um, what a rheumatologist actually is, is a specialist in joints, muscles, and bones. And um, as a doctor, one of the things I've always been fascinated by and love reading about in the Bible is the way that God ministers through healing. And I also love God's sense of humor because when John asked me to do this a few weeks ago, I was completely fine. And then about a week ago, I woke up with the most searing pain in my Achilles, which is an old injury anyway. Um, but it does mean that I've got some more visuals in the shape of a crutch and a bit more personal experience. So um, thank you, Lord. Anyway, um, now we've covered that, let's, let's, let's get on with this lecture. And it, and it is a lecture. Um, so next slide, please. Uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew 8, 2 to 3. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of leprosy. 
Now, as John said, over the last few weeks, we've been examining the character of this wonderful God of ours. And, um, and as I said, one of the things that I really love about God's faithfulness is, the way, is his ability to heal, this, this concept of him being the great physician. I also believe, incidentally, that God does guide the hands of those that practice medicine, that perform groundbreaking research, in order to heal and to cure um, and to treat um, diseases. Um, so that's a bit of a legal disclaimer. So please do not neglect the advice of healthcare professionals. But as a child, I used to, um, I used to think of healing happening in quite a kind of Disney way, um, a kind of sweep of the hand, healing the lame or bringing Lazarus back to life. But during my medical studies, as I sat in lectures or took part in anatomical dissections, I learned that the body is made up of these things called cells and that cells combine to make these things called tissues and that those combine together to make organs and organs come together to make an amazing organism that's human or animal. Um, and so I suddenly became aware that when God heals, change must happen not just in a kind of nebulous, ethereal way, but at some kind of truly cellular level. There must be physiological, anatomical, biochemical alterations in our bodies which manifest as part of this healing process. And yes, our God is a God that can move mountains, but can also operate on a micro or even quantum scale. So in the passage we just heard, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And leprosy is a condition that comes up a lot in the Bible. It may not be exactly the kind of leprosy that we understand today, but it may have included conditions like psoriasis that were associated with similar kind of scaly rashes, similar to those seen with leprosy. But before we go any further, I just thought that I'd give you a quick tutorial on leprosy so that when they talk about it in the Bible, you actually know a little bit about it. So it's caused by a particular microorganism called Mycobacterium leprae. One to remember there. Um, and, it's, and it still occurs today. So it, there are about 200,000 new cases of leprosy each year. Um, India is within the top three countries affected, and I actually spent some time in a hospital, a leprosy hospital in Tamil Nadu in the south of India. And it's spread by droplets, so, you know, coughs, sneezes, um, but also by close contact. And it's interesting that even that was known at the time of Jesus, that, um, and that's what led to the significant and substantial and tragical stigmatization although we now know that actually 95% of people who contract the bacterium actually don't develop the disease. It can affect the skin with characteristic rashes, as I said. It can also affect the eyes, the airways, but the most deforming organ affected is the nervous system. And what it does is the bacterium binds to these things called Schwann cells, um, which is named after Dr. Schwann. And if you think of a nerve as a wire with a copper filament in the middle, the Schwann cells are the plastic insulator on the outside. And so if that is eroded or eaten away, suddenly those electrical signals don't pass through efficiently. And that's exactly what happens in the case of the nerves. The messages don't get through. And so if there's a wound on the foot, for example, that wound doesn't cause pain. And pain can be very protective it as I know, at the moment, I'm trying to protect my Achilles tendon. But if you don't know to protect it, protect a wound, you walk on it, it gets infected, and that's what leads to ulcers and ultimately the loss of digits um, and the loss of limbs, ultimately. So as well as affecting our ability to feel and to sense, 
the, the lack of messages running through also means that muscles don't move and muscles don't then lead to contractions in really abnormal positions. And if we just go to the next slide, you can see an example here of the hands of someone who has leprosy. And it forms this claw hand because the, the muscles become kind of paralyzed in a particular position. It affects blood flow, it leads to the wounds, as I previously talked about, and ultimately the digits can be affected and drop off. Deformity spreads and stigma worsens. Now, we don't know exactly how severe the leprosy was of the man that Jesus met, but I suspect that it was probably severe enough for him to be afflicted by significant deformity and substantial stigma. But this doesn't have to be how the story ends. Our God is good. And today, through research, we've developed antibiotics that can prevent the disease completely um, by, if it's caught early by killing the bacterium itself before it causes permanent damage. And in Jesus' time, he recognized the disease, the deformity, the stigma that this man was experiencing, the what we now know is a very low risk of contagion, and he reached across that divide and he healed the man. We now know that this wasn't in some magical, Disney, whimsical conjurer's kind of way. It wasn't just a sleight of hand. We know that in order for this man to be healed, the damaged nerve, or Schwann cells as we talked about, would need to redevelop. The deformed digits would actually need to regenerate. The defiled skin lesions would have to dissolve. And what was microscopically broken would be repaired and made new. This is what would need to happen in order for his disease to be healed at a cellular level, but also for his stigma to be lifted at a societal level. Indeed, the man doesn't ask actually for healing. He asks, make me clean. And the route to making him clean is via the healing of his leprosy. But it's interesting that in this case, the primary prayer request was for cleanliness. It was for renewal. It was for acceptance. And it was for belonging. So, when we pray... And when we pray for healing, I encourage you not to simply pray for healing in a kind of abstract Disney way, but to call upon our God who can move mountains to operate on cells and tissues to manifest total and lasting change. And it's just another example of a demonstration of God's incredible faithfulness, his undying love for us, and the way that he can minister to to others through these amazing acts of miracles. Amen. Amen. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Nick. Such a great encouragement and reminder uh, of like the God of the universe can also just deal with us uh, in the most intimate of ways. What a great, uh, a great image. And uh, next up, we have back from before, from the Focus Testimonies, um, we have local creative and artist um, uh, and fantastic leader as part of our community here, Edgar Lusaju. I used to be in a rap crew back in the day. And at the end of, or beginning of every sermon at church, the church I went to, our pastor would invite me and my friends to wrap up uh, or introduce the sermon. 
We had three services, and so me and my crew, LM, which stood for Luminous Maximus, more light, and I would meet up, practice, rehearse, then come Sunday morning, we would do a quick run-through, and then go on stage and perform before every service. I would go up there, wait my turn, spit the first two bars, and forget everything. <laughs> but this would only happen in the first service. In the second service, I would go up there, spit the first three bars, and then forget everything. And the same would be in service three. So unlike Exodus 34.6 that, that we've all memorized, um, to me, it would be more of like the Edgar the Edgar, slow to memorize and quick to forget, <laughs> but abundant in the persistence to entertain. <laughs> For the past six weeks, we have been looking at the character of God. But today, I want us to think about the character of man, the character of you. Now, in case you're wondering if I'm going to rap today, you would be correct. <laughs> but even better, I'm going to be... I forgot my prop. <laughs> I'm going to be unwrapping this gift. In fact, I'm not that good of a rapper. I left my boxes with Santa. But God gave me so many gifts, I'm going to go back at the boxes, wrap them and deliver them after. After mass or after English, any class, I'll pass the wish list. Pass over, fill the blankets, set the dishes, bought the dishes, ask the missus, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss this gift. For those who are paying attention, Dr. Kate Middleton talked about God's gift to us. A gift of grace. And sometimes I wonder, where would we be without it? Because as you are alone, as I am on my own, we wouldn't make the cut. So why grace? Well, I believe in the grand scheme of things, our lives are constantly being catalyzed by the decisions and choices we make. And I think most of these decisions are made with your best interest in mind or with my best interest in mind, self-seeking rather than selfless. This is the character of man that I think of when I think of God, a compassionate and gracious God. Slow to... Good, you're paying attention. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you feel the weight of these words when they're spoken next to the character of man? God invites us to choose him. The offer of grace is his invitation, a creator's pursuit of his creation. In Genesis, Adam, after eating the forbidden fruit, ashamed and afraid, sets into motion the character of man for the rest of eternity to where we are now. Even at the beginning of chaos, God is already reaching out, but man is hiding out. When Moses encounters God in the burning bush, he doubts, he fears, he has excuses. God is still reaching out to man, calling the unprepared, the insecure, and the frightened, but man is insecure, frightened, and untrusting. God calls out to potential, man is transfixed on deficiencies. Even when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory, of, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the character of man was to reject him, doubt him, deny him, even three times. God is with us, man is without trust. I mean, 
Tom spoke about this, but imagine seeing a pillar of fire as a manifestation of God. All day, every day, and still doubting. It's much easier than you think, actually. How many of you, how many of us, come to church every Sunday and believe God is who he says he is and have seen or experienced his goodness and promises, but still struggle with the anxiety when it comes to trusting him with your life, your basic needs, your job, your children or your parents, your relationships or your vices even. It is so much easier at times to choose what is easy to what is true. We want to believe and trust, but we also want what we can control, what we can see, what we can touch, what we can explain, what suits us, and we want it now. How different are we from the Israelites? How much do we carry simply because we are self-absorbed, reluctant to reach out and hold on to the extended hand of God's grace? The character of God is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The character of God is I will die so you can live and live abundantly. Even when we deny him, he charges us to love him and feed his sheep. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, like you. Slow to memorize, or maybe I should say internalize. Slow to internalize and quick to forget abounding in persistent to please, or abounding in fear, or abounding in anxiousness, or sadness, or apathy. Do you see what a mystery it is that even at your worst, God still comes for you? God brings you life in the wilderness, comes for you when there was no one else, not by your doing, it was all his grace. He came for you before you even knew his face. Christ died for us at a time when we were helpless and sinful. He still waits to see you at the horizon and runs to you. Would you be willing to choose him today? Whether for the first time or again and again. The goodness of a gift is the one you receive and unwrap and experience. ever given a gift to a child, or you've told them you have a gift for them, they'll probably ask you, what is it? And then when you give it to them, they will open it and play with it. They wouldn't be satisfied with, there is a gift. So the goodness of a gift is the one you receive and unwrap and experience. In terms of the gift of grace, live in the grace of God. Live in the grace of God. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house, there's a room for you, but you have to be willing to make room for him. 
if you are willing to renew the spirit of your mind, if you're willing to be quick to internalize his teachings and slow to forget his compassionate love towards you, if you're willing to be transformed by the daily renewal of your mind, the daily renewal of your character, if you are willing to receive his gift of grace. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you, Edgar. Thank you. Um, uh, we are going to come into land uh, with Sophie. Uh, Sophie Fanner um, is one of our team here, heads up our Saints in the City ministry, um, uh, and an incredible, incredible leader in her own right. Um, and so without further ado, Sophie! <laughs> In 2019, I was hit by a car and had to have surgery. The only way I found comfort as I lay there listening to the surgeon at work was to pray. At that time, I wouldn't have called myself a Christian, although I did grow up one. I was incredibly unhappy, stuck in an unhealthy relationship that was just getting worse, and on the other side of the world to my friends and family. But praying to God gave me hope on that operating table. And God became a place of refuge to me in that moment. And again, when I walked into this building three months later. And so over the past six weeks, we've been looking at who God is. We've heard about his compassion and his love for us. And today I want to look at God as our refuge and giver of hope. You'll find in the Bible many a psalm where the writer is seeking refuge or them thanking God for being their refuge, as well as verses in the Bible about hope. So let's look at Psalm 18 together. It reads, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock whom I take refuge. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to the Lord for help. And in, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. This psalm was sung, to God by, sung by David to God after God delivered him from the hands of his enemies and after David found refuge in God. Now, when you hear the word refuge, your first thoughts might be to think of a woman's refuge or a homeless shelter. And the definition of refuge is a state of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or difficulty. So your first thoughts would probably match. Right now in this city, there is a winter night shelter offering home, those experiencing homelessness a safe and dry space to sleep. Our two meeting places here in October Books are places of refuge for individuals from all walks of life, bringing them hope through provisions, signposting, and prayer. So what is hope? One definition is that it's an expectation of something better to come. In the Bible, one of the Hebrew words used to translate hope is kavar, 
meaning to wait, look for, or expect. It is related to the Hebrew word which means cord. Now I have a prop. (laughs) You see, when I pull this cord, there's a state of tension until it's released. This tension is kavar. There is a state of tension. The kavar is a feeling of expectation, knowing release is to come. David had experienced kavar and sung his prayer to God because he had experienced the release of tension. Biblical hope is based on a person, not just circumstances. It's based on that knowing through Jesus, the best is yet to come. And I love this quote from the Bible Project. Hopeful people recognise there's no evidence things will get better, but they choose hope anyway. They choose hope anyway. You can choose hope anyway. For me, those prayers on the operating table gave me hope. I didn't know the outcome as I lay there. I could only kavar, wait for the pain to be over and to feel the release. As I sought refuge in God, through his strength, he gave me hope that would be a positive outcome and there'd be a better future. One I had no idea would look the way it does today. But in that moment, all I had was hope as I lay in God's refuge. The Hebrew words for refuge used in the Bible are mahaseya and man'oa, both used when referring to God as a refuge for his people. Mahaseya translates to a literal shelter or a place of hope, and Manoa, a resting place. God provided me, Mahaseya, a place of hope on the operating table. And you too can find refuge in God as his people. It might feel hard right now for you to take refuge in God. Maybe you've never had to before, or there is pain to get to that place. Well, verse six reminds us that in our distress, call out to the Lord. He will hear you. You don't have to be hit by a car to experience refuge in God. Um, But sometimes life can feel like a car crash. But there is good news, more of it. God doesn't leave us when times are good. He doesn't stop listening to you when you find refuge and you live in his hope. He's still with you, listening to you, available when you call on him. It's important to recognise that for some of you in this room or watching online, you're in a good place right now. You don't feel like you need refuge from anything. You have strength to do what you need to do. So maybe it's just being reminded that God can be your place of rest, your manoa. Maybe your life just feels a little bit full um, and you need God to be your resting place each day. And those of you in this room thinking, this is great news for others, but I feel safe, I feel rested, I know God's with me, then I encourage you today to consider and even ask God, how can you be there for those who do need refuge, who do need hope? In my situation, my parents and my two closest friends have been praying for me and I didn't even know it. 
It was also my mum in her unrelenting hope for me to find God's refuge that she asked me and then told me quite a few times about Alpha here at St. Mary's. God heard my parents and my friends' cries, cries for hope for me. So who could you be praying for? Interceding on their behalf, allowing your cries to be heard by God. However, maybe you do relate to David. You're feeling overwhelmed by life, entangled by a situation. Maybe you're fighting an illness or experiencing a relationship breakdown or you've lost your job. Maybe you're feeling held down by others or a decision. Seek refuge in God, allowing his strength to give you hope. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, second time you're here at this morning, Come to him, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers the same refuge in him as God did to David in the psalm. Don't stop crying out. God hears you. His ears are open to you. His strength, his refuge and his hope are available to you today. Amen.